I know you're dying to say those words. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Well, that is a very famous part of the Bible, and as Anita said, quite possibly the most famous part of the book of Numbers uh, because of the way that it's used in our church services. Uh, But because of that, um, it can very easily become just background noise, something that sounds nice, but with use and over time, uh, you forget what it means. So we have one or two blessings that we say in our church services here at St Alfred's. Uh, Occasionally the service leader will say a blessing at the end of the service. And here's one that you may have heard, which is from Philippians chapter 4. It goes, The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. And uh, the blessing in number six is similarly very well known, but much like other parts of our service, such as the creeds or, say, the Lord's Prayer, we probably don't fully grasp its meaning every time we hear it or say it. So let's take a closer look at number six and appreciate again the significance of this part of the Bible. And just to begin, uh, let's focus in on one particular Jewish tradition of blessing, which will then help us to grasp uh, the number six blessing. See, in the Old Testament, there was a tradition of fathers about to die, to come to the end of their lives, and they gather their children around them and bless them. And there was a subjective or inner relational uh, element to this blessing and also an objective, an external, out-in-the-world element to this. On the one hand, the subjective part of the blessing was that the father wished them well, showing his delight in them and longing for their good and prosperity. For example, at the end of Genesis, Jacob blesses, blesses his son Judah, With these words, you are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? So that's some poetic poetic language right there. But uh, the point of this is to show Jacob's great expectations for Judah and his descendants. Uh, You can feel the intensity of the father's pride in his son. But there's no specific promise here. So that's the subjective part of the blessing. Now, on the other hand, the traditional father-to-son, father-to-child blessing was objective and practical. Uh, This was the formal dividing of the estate. All um, All of the things that the father had passed on to the children. And this is what we saw when Peter McPherson kicked off our series in Summer Blessings uh, about a month back. We saw the way that Jacob, by trickery, took the blessing from his twin brother Esau. Jacob goes to his father pretending to be Esau. And because Isaac is blind, he goes ahead and blesses Jacob thinking it's Esau. Now, I want to say at this point, it's, I think it's debatable whether Jacob really received the objective part of this blessing. After all, he doesn't inherit 
the family assets, but rather he spends the next few decades on the run, scrounging for his own fortune using his wits. So in the end, we might ask, did Jacob really usurp Esau's blessing? Uh, But the fact is, Esau was Jacob's favourite. Sorry, Isaac's favourite. And Jacob is so desperate to hear those words of blessing, those words of approval from his father, that he goes to outlandish lengths to get it, even by false pretenses. He dresses up like his brother, brings Jacob, uh, sorry, brings Isaac the kind of food that Esau would provide, all so that he can hear his father's words of blessing. And isn't that something that we all long for? We want to hear someone of great worth and status say a blessing on us, declare good things about our future, whether that's from a parent or a teacher or mentor, we need to hear those words, to hear that we are of great worth, that we are uniquely valued and admired because we can't bless ourselves. It doesn't work. Blessing has to come from outside of us. Think about the difference between pumping yourself up with daily affirmations, in, uh, saying them in the mirror. I'm a great tennis player, for example. Uh, I'm going to play in the Australian Open. Think about that kind of blessing versus a professional player watching you on the court and having a word to you. You've got something unique. You're special. Keep going. You've got what it takes. Well, which blessing would motivate you more? The blessing you gave yourself or the one that came from the professional player, someone whose opinion you treasure. Well, the fact is we're social creatures. And for better or worse, we long for others' approval. And the greater the status of the person giving the blessing, the more it impacts us, the more it means to us. Now, unfortunately, we can want that too much. And we may become obsessed with pleasing others, or by wanting to impress. And if approval isn't forthcoming, we can stoop to manipulating others, or we can become manipulated by them in our search for recognition. This is what happened to Jacob in his quest for a blessing. He bends over backwards to hear that blessing, even under false pretenses. Now, over the holidays, I had a couple weeks off, and... I subscribed up to Netflix again and I watched uh, this movie called Whiplash. Uh, It's a story of an ambitious young drummer who catches the attention of the conductor of an elite jazz ensemble at the conservatory where the young drummer is studying. Now, this conductor, played brilliantly, by the way, by J.K. Simmons, uh, as it turns out, this band conductor is emotionally manipulative and physically abusive But every student craves his approval because of his status in the conservatory and uh, because of his position in the New York jazz scene. So the young drummer goes to unbelievable lengths to impress his conductor. He does marathon practice sessions that make his hands bleed. Uh, He falls out with his family and he drops his girlfriend, all to get this elusive status 
to be recognised and rewarded by someone great. So this is an extreme example, but maybe you can recognise a little of yourself in this scenario. Who are the people in your life that you look up to and esteem? And if you have their approval, you're gratified. And if you don't, you're shaken. The drive to keep others happy with us can so easily lead to compromise and putting aside the will of God to appease the will of others. Becoming antisocial is another extreme. Always being at odds with others and looking for conflict. And that might be another way that we can try and claim attention and deference from others. Being nasty, keeping others on their toes, becoming the one who demands that others qualify themselves to you rather than seeking to please others. When we disregard the blessing of God and his words of approval, well done, good and faithful servant, when we put that aside, we can go to either extreme and we can be at war within ourselves and with others, restless and needy. But if we have God's blessing and if we've taken that blessing into ourselves and absorbed it, then we'll have an inner poise, a calm, a peace that won't easily be shaken. Approval from others will be nice, but it won't be everything. And this will enable us to turn outwards to the needs of others versus focusing in on ourselves and our needs. We'll be able to serve others from a secure position. So that instead of focusing on the friend or social group whose opinion matters to us, we're free to enjoy their company, but we won't obsess over every silly thing that we said or imagine slight that may or may not have come our way. And we'll be open to other friendships. And perhaps people at our church or in our growth group, people who we might not normally associate with, but now we're available to them. We're open to spending time and having that connection because we're not obsessing over this set of relationships over here. Likewise, if we're not um, preoccupied by the approval of a boss or a co-worker, we'll have time and headspace for relationships outside of work, being physically and emotionally available to friends, family, our church family. Because we have the blessing of God, and we have his approval, we won't need to seek it from others. And the Numbers 6 blessing declares God's approval towards us, the subjective words of assurance, the delight he takes in his chosen people, but it also contains objective blessing. It calls for peace to be upon us. That is every desire that we have, our physical wants, relational, psychological, every need that we have will be met by God. This is the shalom that Mark was talking about in the sermon last week. And sorry, I can't take credit for that, uh, that wonderful address. Uh, but he, he mentioned that God made us and this world to reflect his goodness. And how does that work? If God's ultimate plan was to leave us unsatisfied, unfulfilled, bereft, lacking. No, he intends to give us every good thing, whether that comes to us this side of Jesus' return or beyond.
when God blesses his people, it's like the tradition of the father blessing his children. It's subjective and it's objective. He desires and takes delight in us and is also committed to seeing good come to his people. So there's four main elements to this blessing. God will keep us. His face will be turned towards us. He'll be gracious to us and we will have his peace. So firstly, God will keep us. Now in the Old Testament, this was a literal promise. God's intention for his people was that they be protected from their enemies and live in their own land and not have to worry about invading armies or coastal raids or bandits. The idea of keeping his people was having them shielded, garrisoned from harm. However, as often often happened in the Old Covenant, Israel's peace was broken. As God sought to discipline his people and give them a wake-up call and bring them back to the covenant. Uh, sometimes their peace was interrupted and they were invaded and, and hassled by outside forces. And now in the new covenant, with the arrival of Jesus, God has promised to keep us in the sense that we are protected from the attacks of Satan and the spiritual forces of evil. First Peter 1 says that we are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. So when we hear the words, God keep you, that's the blessing for us, that God would keep us from the enemy until Jesus' return and the final defeat of evil. Now, secondly, we have God's face turned towards us, shining on us. In the context of Numbers 6, these verses follow the regulations for purity in the Israelite community, the proper way for the nation to come in to God's presence and remain there. So in, given the context, this may, may seem counterintuitive to talk about having God's face turned towards us and his face shining on us. This was a poetic way of talking about God's relational presence, his favourable stance towards his people. Apart from being with them to bless them and keep them from harm, this was the deeper way of talking about the intimate covenant relationship he has with his chosen people. But there's a problem Given what's come previously in Numbers, chapters 1 to 5, all the regulations surrounding the purity laws and the system of priests who would be intermediaries between God and the people, how can God turn his face towards us like this? How do we explain the intimacy of this language in verses 25 and 26 when the system of access to God was so complicated so indirect. Well, it gets worse. Because earlier in Israel's story, Moses explicitly asks to see God's face, to see his glory, the brightness of his face. God's response is no. You can't see my face. God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, 
and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. How do we get from Moses' experience of God needing to hide his face to the blessing of number six, which assures us of God's glory, his shining face in all its white, hot purity being directed right at us? How do we reconcile this? Well, number six points beyond the experience of the typical Israelite to the fulfilment of the purity laws and the sacrificial laws, their fulfilment in Jesus, the true Israelite. The only way we, as people who sin and disregard God's law and fail to live up to God's standard, the only way we can survive an encounter with God this direct, this intimate, is if we have Jesus be that intermediary for us. And if we are in him, standing in him, and holding on to his perfect record, his righteousness, then we can behold God's glory and know the unqualified approval of God because of the merits of Jesus. John chapter 1 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the fulfilment of Numbers 6. And it seems obvious to us, but all of this was still in the future for Moses. He just had a hint an inkling of the fulfilment of this blessing. And we find that hint in the words in the blessing in verse 26. The Lord be gracious to you. We can only reach this kind of personal relationship with God if he moves graciously towards us and bridges that gap between holy God and sinful humans. And he did that by sending his son to be one of us, to live a pure and holy life for us and to die for us as the pure, spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world, to remove the need for worshippers, to endlessly sacrifice animals and perform rituals of purity. So now, when we look at Jesus, we see the face of God. We know him directly and intimately the way the number six blessing promised. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. God's face can shine on us. That is, we can know his intimate relational presence in the face of Jesus, because he has bridged that chasm, bridged the purity gap, and brought us reconciliation with God. And as the blessing promises, it's all by grace. The Lord be gracious to you. There's no quality or gift or performance we can bring to the table that causes God to say, yes, that's good enough. 
we can begin a relationship now. God doesn't drive us with guilt or the fear of humiliation the way the band leader did in that movie. He doesn't play us off against each other and make us compete for his affection the way Isaac did with Jacob and Esau. But without qualification, without obligation, without any standard that we have to meet up to, he gives us a direct, loving, approving, secure access to him as his adopted children. The barrier of sin has been broken. The dividing wall of hostility has been done away with so that we are now at peace with God, at peace within ourselves and at peace with one another. Which brings us to the final part of this blessing in verse 26. And give you peace. And this isn't a separate category all on its own because peace really sums up the other parts of this blessing and brings them together. And much like the blessing of fathers to children, which we explored earlier, this blessing of peace has a subjective and an objective element. The subjective relational aspect is our renewed stance with God, no longer in conflict with God or wondering, uh, wondering about our stance with him Rather, we know that his face is turned towards us and his spirit testifies to his love in our hearts. And because we have that approval, that puts our relationship with others in proper perspective. No longer striving for approval and recognition, but able to serve one another without ulterior motives. And the objective blessing of number six also brings us peace. Because we know that 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood in for us at the cross and paid the penalty for our sin. It was all finally dealt with, finally, conclusively, graciously. And we can have shalom. We can look ahead to a future in his kingdom, in a restored world, where every part of this broken creation will once again be put right. And every conflict and anxiety and lack that we experience now will be finally restored and removed and replaced with peace and calm and fullness. So number six is a blessing for now, but it's also a blessing for the future. Because God has accomplished this blessing in Jesus. He's working in us now to apply it to our hearts and lives. And he will finally bring every aspect of this blessing to fulfilment when Jesus returns. Shall we pray? Our dear, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this blessing which assures us of your good will and intentions towards us. And we thank you that we see its fulfilment so much clearer than the original hearers that we know of Jesus, uh, that of your glory shining in the face of Jesus. We can behold you because we see him. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.